in your opinion, what's the ultimate value of me reading? Why are you so enthusiastic about it and promoting it? Um, Working so hard to promote it. Because it's the truth. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the Mirror Scriptura podcast. And today is going to be a little bit different. I have uh, my friend, Danny Moscow. How's it going? (laughs) For the longest time, I thought your name was Danny Moscow. Thought you were some kind of Russian agent. Yeah, that's uh, incorrect. Um, although there's been a lot of hubbub about the Russians uh-huh. lately. Yes. <laughs> so thought maybe you interfered with the election. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been some skepticism of me lately, yeah. just because of the name I have. So I have Dane here to um, do a little Q and A. He's going to interview me. Uh, and before you think I'm totally narcissistic, I just wanted to do this uh, to get. Um, to get a different perspective, to maybe draw draw some thoughts out of me that I wouldn't norm- that I wouldn't normally get drawn out by myself, and uh, of course, uh, you know, I, I expect to hear some of Danny's uh, thoughts too, and I think those would be really good. So, uh, Danny is going to drive the conversation here, so I'm going to I'm going to throw it over to him. Yeah. So, um, like Michael said, I definitely have a different perspective on these on these things. Uh, I'm. I'm not really a Bible nerd, to be honest. Uh, I do listen to the podcast. I enjoy what you've been doing so far. Um, and I find it interesting and I am a Christian. So, uh, I, you know, I, obviously the Bible is, plays a big role in my life. Um, but yeah, like I'm not really, uh, as much of a nerd about it in the same way that you are. So I, yes, I I'm absor- a self-admitted Bible geek, right? Yep. <laughs> I absorb the information differently. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, so we'll just kick it off with this. So this question, it might be a little bit unnecessary because of who your listeners are at this point, but I always I always say with podcasts, you never really know who's listening. Mm-hmm. And this could always be somebody's first episode that they hear, right? Correct. So I think it's important at least to just kind of lay the groundwork and, and define the terms that we're going to be working with. And really the major the major term here is what this podcast is all about, mirror reading. So why don't you just start off by giving the the basic definition of mirror reading. Yep. So mirror reading is a way to interpret the Bible and it tries to reconstruct the uh, the situation that the biblical author was uh, writing to. Um, and you can redo that reconstruction by uh, reflecting what the biblical author says. So for example, if Paul says not to do something, then you can mirror that and, and um, say that implies that the he was responding to a false teaching that was saying that they should do something. Right. Uh, so, gotcha. That's gotcha. it in a nutshell. Yeah. And one of the analogies that you've given in the past that I think is really helpful is the the analogy of the phone conversation. Mm-hmm. So, if you're in a room and the person next to you answers the phone, you only hear the half of the conversation, which is the person in the room with you, yep. but the person who's on the other line, you don't hear that. So you're trying to, but you re- can, you can imply what they're saying by what right. half that you do you here. C- you can draw your, your conclusions based on, yeah, based on what they're saying, but not perfectly. So you do yeah. your best. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a lot of, I think it's a lot of inductive reasoning as opposed to deductive reasoning. And most of biblical interpretation is deductive, but, um, you don't always have the content there to do all of the deductive. Right. So inductive right. is useful. 
Exactly, exactly. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, what, what some of the advantages of mirror reading are, as opposed to other approaches to interpreting the Bible? Uh, sure. Well, first, I'd, I'd want to say, I don't, I, I guess I consider it part of, or it works in tangent uh, with what's called the historical grammatical interpretation uh, method, which, you know, that method just takes into account the context Right. Of uh, you know, of the of the word, the paragraph, the chapter, you know, it's it's a larger context, and as well as the historical context, and so uh, mirror reading just tends to be more specifics, and so I I refer to it sometimes as situational context. Okay, so because you're rec- you're recreating the situation, um, so you know, I think in that sense it works in tangent with the historical grammatical uh, method, but uh, the mirror reading method, it does, um, I, you know, I think it, it, it gives you a better picture and it, it gives you a better understanding of the text because, uh, you know, I say you can't, you can't always know the what without knowing the why. And the mirror reading reconstructs the why, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Gotcha. And it's, it's, I should mention that mirror reading is controversial. Um, so, because some people, when they do mirror reading, mirror read, they don't do it very well. Uh, and so it leads to a lot of bad interpretations. Um, so if, if you do it in a way that's sloppy, you're going to get sloppy results. That's basically. right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, don't think you should mirror read um, narratives. They, they pretty much... Uh, Things like the, um, what's the word I'm, can't remember the word I'm trying to think of, but the, uh, the obvious, uh, letters of Paul that where he the is, epistles? yeah, the epistles, um, polemic, that's what I'm thinking of, the, the, the polemic. Uh, polemic writing where he, where it's kind of obvious there's an argument and he's responding to the argument. Uh, whereas my approach is that. Right. Every, everything is an argument and that these, no matter what book, no matter what genre you're talking about in the Bible, those writings didn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what, what were they right. responding so sometimes to? it's obvious, like sometimes Paul might outright say, now concerning the matters which you have written me about. Exactly. Which is like, you can't, you couldn't not mirror read that. If you know what I mean, like it's art, it's like it's imprinted into the text. Right. But right. you're saying that it's not just for times like that. It's also in, in other things. Yeah. And I should also mention, you don't, you don't, when you're mirror reading, you don't necessarily mirror everything that's said. Uh, so I break things down into mirrors and echoes and mirrors are things that um, the author is saying the opposite of, or different from the, uh, the argument that he's responding to where echoes, he could, he could be saying the same thing as the false teacher. And that could be, um, that could be a quote. So they're both saying the same thing. So Paul might quote something, but then he reinterprets that quote to mean what, uh, what it really means as opposed to what the false teacher thinks it means. So when they're old, old, when they're quoting old Testament verses, um, you know, old, uh, the false teachers may have been using those OT verses, uh, in one way, and Paul is will quote those verses and then uh, interpret them a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, another another 
Another echo might be just uh, simply a point of agreement where the false teachers and Paul do agree on something, but then Paul will spin it off into a different direction. Um, so you don't always reflect uh, when you're mirror reading. There's certain times you reflect and certain times that echo. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And so getting good at mirror reading is knowing when to know the difference. Yeah. And that's, for me right now, that's largely an intuitive step mm-hmm. uh, to know that. Because you've practiced a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, actually, everything in mirror reading used to be intuitive. Like I was, I was mirror reading before I knew what mirror reading was. And then oh. I, I stumbled across mirror, this article on mirror reading. I was like, oh, well, that's, that's what I do. Like it was just putting a, a description to what exactly what you've already been doing. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, my, my goal is to really push mirror reading to the max and uh-huh. really, uh, you know, you get the most out of the Bible that you can using that method. Interesting. Some of the things you just said there were are some answers to some of the questions I had kind of coming up a little bit. So what are some of the weaknesses or limitations that are inherent in, in mirror reading? Um, if, if there are any. Yeah. So I think the temptation is in mirror reading is you can reflect something and say, okay, well, why, why is Paul saying that? Or why were the false teachers saying that? And then you can, you can theorize, you can hypothesize about what they were, what the situation was. And that's what some people do. And so they'll, they'll, they'll have this hypothesis of what the situation was based off of one or two verses that they've mirror read. And that's very, um, I think that's dangerous and it can lead to bad theology, but um, you have to com- you have to look for evidence to support your hypothesis. So you may mere read one verse and come up with hypothesis, hypothesis, but then you have to look for other verses where you mere read. But that also supports that mm-hmm. same thing. Um, so you have to find evidence to start to pile up before you can it, feel like you have a solid conclusion it, on something. Exactly, exactly. And and um, don't just know, rip one out. Right. out of a certain context and say, there you go. There's my point. Right. And there's, you know, there's a couple points in my earlier episodes that are pretty speculative, but I, I say that. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with hypothesizing with little evidence, but you have to be honest about right. you know, how, how little support there is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that makes sense to me for sure. So you first found out about mirror reading just by, you said you found an article online that was talking about it. I did, yeah. Actually, Justin Taylor, uh, who's a Christian um, a blogger, right? He he had a link to somebody else's uh, blog. Andy, um, can't remember his last name, but anyways, Andy wrote this not so nice uh, blog post about like a sc- a scathing kind yeah, of yeah tone. about about mere reading, and um, I was like, hey. This is what I do. <laughs> and uh, so Andy Nasili, I think is the name is. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I connected to that. Interesting. Term. So it's not like it's not like you had a different method for approaching the Bible and interpreting it before. You're saying like you kind of already did this naturally, like this came natural to you. And then you stumbled across 
somebody who had put a name and a, and a description and, a, and like had fleshed it out more. Yeah. I'd, I'd done a lot of work in, well, I was doing a lot of work in Ephesians mm-hmm. and it was a lot of just, uh, at the time it was, it was largely intuitive. I would just read it over and yeah. over and over and over. And I started picking up on things just by the sheer amount of reading it. And then I started picking apart, okay, why, how am I getting this? And, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of frustrating first cause I didn't know how to explain it to anyone and I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Right. Um, you didn't have the language for it. Right. At that right. Time. And then, um, you know, and then I discovered what it was and that, mm-hmm. that was, uh, yeah, it was relieving. Yeah. That's, it's interesting that you say that it's intuitive for you because it, when you explain it, it just makes sense to me as well on an intuitive level. So I'm kind of right there in the same boat, right there along with you. So my question then is why would somebody, especially people who teach the Bible, why would they not take this approach? Uh, Because it is, um, you know, some of it is fear. I think Um, it's like I said, the the deductive reasoning, like, you know, this and then this and then this whereas right. inductive re- reasoning it's uh, you, c- you can't always be a hundred percent sure yeah it's um now inductive reasoning that's like what sherlock holmes does right uh um, when he shows up at a or, actually, or no he's a or is he's a deduct deductive i'm actually not sure i think it's deductive but okay i can't be positive about that um you know what i mean like he shows up at a crime scene and then he just starts observing a bunch of different things and then starts drawing conclusions based on what he's seeing. Well, I think an example of inductive reasoning that I, I think I've read is that, um, and this is, this would be a bad case of, of inductive reasoning. So they're all swans are white because all, all that people had seen were white swans. Mm -hmm. And so that was a pretty good conclusion until the day someone discovered a black swan. Right. And so there is that chance of um, of of it being wrong, but you know, I think if you have enough inductive reasoning uh, to support whatever you're trying to hypothesize, then I think it's, it's kind of has a cumulative effect. And um, you know, I always always compare it to our, our justice system. Like we we um, arrive at verdicts not knowing a hundred percent whether, you know, what the case was, but, um, you know, you can make a judgment, uh, you know, beyond a, a reasonable doubt. Right. So, yeah. Inter- now I'm glad that you bring up the justice system. Cause I actually have something kind of about that here in the All next right. question. So you've, you've described me your reading and you've, you've talked about reconstructing the, the original intent of the authors and when I hear that, I also think of, my mind just goes to this, this sort of parallel thing that we have in the justice system um, among the judiciary. Uh, so judges, uh, this, this uh, a judicial philosophy that we call uh, originalism. And so originalism is just basically the, the idea that when it comes to interpreting the Constitution— so we're speaking specifically about the United States mm-hmm. when it comes to interpreting the constitution and interpreting the laws that are within it, that the constitution should be interpreted in the, in the context of the original authors and framers intent of what they meant it to mean. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, along with the circumstances of their time. So what they meant it to mean at that time, that place, not this whole idea, as opposed to the, the, the living document kind of idea, which says the constitution is like a living, breathing document and it's right. flexible. So that means we can kind of stretch the boundaries of it to mean something else. So to me, that sounds very similar to reconstructing along the lines of what the biblical author's original intent was versus trying to superimpose kind of our modern context onto mm-hmm. it. So then my question is, is that an approach that we should always take with the Bible and, or just the Old Testament or the New Testament or the whole thing as far as reconstructing their intent? Uh, yeah, If well, <laughs> so there's different, there are different methods of uh, interpreting the Bible. Um, and so there's eisegesis where you're just reading your own meaning into it. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the living, breathing constitution same thing there. view. Yeah. Probably not what you want to do with the Bible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's exegesis where you're driving the meaning out of the text. Now there are, there's allegorical interpretation, mm-hmm. um, which you can, it's hard to verify. There's with, with like historical grammatical, you can verify things by the context, but allegorical right. is allegorical. You can't really prove it or disprove right. it. Um, but and, it's I, a, and I'm sure there's there's some debate about what parts of the Bible are allegory and which ones aren't, right? Yeah, and, well, some some Christians might believe that Genesis is allegorical, and others might believe that it isn't. It's like reading history, right? Right. And some things are more plain though, because like let's take maybe the Song of Solomon, uh, not an allegory, but that's like reading poetry, right? So you know that's not like you're reading history, and that one's pretty obvious. Yeah. But and New Testament writers, I mean, most of the Old Testament scriptures that they quote in the new Testament, they actually take it allegorical. Uh, they're not, they're not quoting it, uh, to communicate the original intent of the old Testament author. Um, so there's some precedents for interesting for allegorical, um, interpretation. So, you know, I don't, I don't write it off, but if you are looking for the original meaning of the text, then you're obviously you don't want to go with an allegorical interpretation, but people can't always discern that, especially in a church setting where they're they're listening to a pastor who is who is interpreting something allegorically. And um, like I was just I was just at our church. Yeah, <laughs> the pastor was talking about the well, some well in the desert. And then you know, if you have a well in your desert, you know, in your desert in your life. Right. And then he applies the scripture to that. Well, mm-hmm. that's an allegorical interpretation. Right. Um, that kind of stuff happens a lot. Too. It yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a, because people are trying to apply it to people's lives today. Mm-hmm. And especially in the Old Testament, that's extremely tough uh, because we're not dealing with a lot of the same situations. No. Um, it's a different world now than it was exactly. then. So, but people just assume... Because the pastor is an authority figure, well, that must be what the Bible means, and they don't necessarily—they don't really pick up on that is an allegorical, allegorical interpretation. Gotcha. So, speaking of Old Testament, why don't we? Uh, we'll, we'll go on Old Testament a little bit first, and then you know a little bit later we can move on to some some New Testament stuff. Um, but before we even do that, what would you say are some of the basic differences? between applying mere reading to the old Testament and the new Testament? Um, 
Well, the New Testament is uh, has this kind of primal cause, mm-hmm. and that's Jesus, right? Showed up on the scene, and right. so people are trying to integrate Jesus into their theology. And I think this is one of the big misunderstandings of the New Testament is that the false teachers were not were not this uh, these Judaizers that were just trying to be Jews, Jewish without Jesus. They were, they were Jews that were trying to incorporate Jesus into the Jewish religion, but in the wrong way. Uh, so it's not right. Cause at this, at, at that point, there's, there's really no such thing as Christianity. Right. Right. And so the, actually there's, there's, you know, when the, when the, there's multiple ways, uh, in, in the New Testament, so you have the way the way the flesh, the way the spirit, and mm-hmm. you know Christianity eventually becomes you know, comes to be called the way. Um, so it's 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 not this pure Jewish religion versus this pure Christianity religion uh, in the New Testament. It's more it's murkier than that. I gotcha. Interesting. So so going continuing with the Old Testament theme. You've had a series of some episodes that you've already released dealing with uh, the the Elohist source, and you started that off by talking about JEDP theory. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the, some of that Bible geek stuff that I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, so these were different authors that had like these uh, these different competing narratives in uh in genesis but was it also in other old testament books as well not just genesis yeah i think jay uh goes like all the way to maybe in first kings i think okay um you know so so they're kind of different yeah so they all cover at least genesis but some of them take it further that's correct um so they're they're all in genesis exodus uh leviticus is strictly p priestly uh, numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, Elois, Elois is contained to the first five books minus Leviticus. And okay. Jay goes, you know, through first Kings and uh, DMP also. I, I think they extend beyond Deuteronomy, but I'm not sure where they end. Okay. And there's, I mean, there's other authors as well, but those are the main four. Okay. Now, this when I heard this, this was news to me. Okay, I had I had no idea that there were these different sources uh, and these these competing narratives in, in Genesis. Uh, so how in the world is this ignored now in, in modern churches? Like I was I was never taught that Genesis had these competing narratives. The basic gist of what I was given was well, we believe Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. Um, not really sure why, but we just think it's him. Uh huh. But there was never, never a mention of, oh yeah, there was actually these, these different competing authors and, you know, they were, yeah. Genesis had multiple authors in it. So this was news. So how is this ignored? Um, well, one, I, the, the theory kind of comes out of the more liberal side uh, of Christianity or even the secularist uh, side of things. And so I think there's a hesitation to accept that right off the bat because of that. Right. And two is, I think there's, um, intuitively, I think there's implications 
that people don't want to grapple with if there's multiple authors, um, you know, and, and what that means for the Bible. And it's just easier to say, you know, it was written by Moses and that's how it was. And, you know, everything's in a nice, neat, tidy box. And I, honestly, I had a hard time accepting it at first. I, um, I, you know, I learned about it and then, uh, I just, I, I didn't want to accept it. I wanted, I wanted that cohesiveness and that, you know, there are counter counter arguments out there against it, but in my opinion, um, I think those, I think it's a good theory. And I should say, um, the classic JEDP theory does have problems. Um, I'm not an expert on it, but. Right. Uh, so this is pretty new for you as well, right? Yeah. So, but you know, as I talk about, and I think the second episode where it's the supplementary, uh, hypothesis instead of the doc, instead of the documentary hypothesis, where I think it makes, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's a variation of the JEDP theory, but it's the same kind of basic concept that there are multiple authors, uh, in a lot of the old Testament books. Gotcha. Right on. So one of the, so you started off by talking about how in the old Testament, there's just, there's a lot of different political propaganda that uh, just saying that all by itself is on its face, a pretty controversial statement. Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah. <laughs> to suggest that. Oh yeah. By the way, people, they read this as if they're trying to get theology out of it, but it's not even really a theological narrative. It's just, this is just political propaganda. Yeah. That seems to be the case. That seems to be the situation. Uh, that seems to be why they wrote it. I mean, there are theological elements there, obviously, but the primary, pur- the primary purpose of it uh, was to influence, um, you know, the political side of things. And uh, it is, it is, um, it is controversial. And if you're, a, yeah. if you're a biblical inerrantist, um, I mean, if you're just a biblical, if you're a Christian at all, it's going to make you uncomfortable. And yeah. I, I can certainly understand that. Yeah, of course. So if it's not primarily a theological book or theological narrative or even a, 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 a moral narrative, uh, and it's just this political propaganda, then what are the implications for Christians and even and even Jews who follow the Old Testament? If it's if it's not theological primarily or not moral primarily, then what is it? You know, I there are still things that you can, you know, I I call, I call it gleaning. You can you right. can glean theological meaning from it, um, but it's a lot less than. Than what we make it out to be. What what has no. you know traditionally has been, um, but you know I I I don't consider myself an inerrantist anymore. Uh, I was for a long time, and um, you know I have to say I'm probably with you on that. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I stepped away from that before the JEDP theory, but um, I mean that's that really just uh, solidifies. Yeah. It solidifies it. And yeah, like I don't, I don't have to have inerrancy in order for me to retain my faith. That's yeah, where I'm at. Yeah. yeah. And there is a, you know, I still think there's a, even though, it, even though it's political propaganda, I still think there's this, like this divine thread that is weaved through it somehow. Um, 
and I can't really articulate that, but, um, you know, I think there is still, yeah, you know, it's still a divine aspect yeah, to it. I think so. I, I, cause I think you still see, there, there are definitely some theological things in there because don't, wouldn't you say like, you still get to see God and how he relates with the Israelites and he calls them his people. And there's many times when he talks about how, if they're faithful to him and serving him, that he will bless them. And, and if they depart from, from him and turn away from his ways, then they will, they'll, there'll be curses for them. And I think there's still some takeaway even for, for Christians nowadays to say like, look, I mean, uh, if, if we're faithful to God, he's faithful to us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I think there's some theology to be gleaned off of that still. Yeah. But on the flip side also, you know, be faithful to God means killing every woman, <laughs> man and child. Uh, yeah. There were some situations you know, where that Canaan. was the case, right? So is that, um, is that just the political propaganda coming through or exactly. is that really God's character? Um, so I, you know, I don't claim to know all of the answers here. Like I'm working, you know, I'm working all this out myself. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me because it, it just turns a lot of things over on its head because uh, I, I think within the modern Christian church, there's sort of been this kind of desire to approach the old Testament with a new Testament lens, if that makes sense. So, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so like, we want to try to interpret the old Testament and look at the old Testament and draw conclusions from it. And in the same way that we do it with the new Testament, because, you know, we have the benefit of having the entire Bible. So that's right. We plus, know that yeah. plus the old te- Testament foreshadows Christ. So yeah. we want to look at the old Testament with, through the lens of it's foreshadowing Christ coming. Right. Exactly. So like I said, said earlier, new Testament writers, um, you know, apply old Testament verses to Jesus. Right. And so we're kind of, you know, there's that precedence there and we're kind of uh, pre-trained to look at the Old Testament that way simply by reading the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So why do you suppose that a lot of uh, modern church teaching, they try to establish a narrative that that isn't in like, say, like the, in the Elohist source uh, or, or the other sources really for that matter. So I'll just bring up one of the examples you gave. Uh, you 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 were citing something from uh, Tim Keller, and Tim Keller was talking about the. Uh, you were talking about the Jacob cycle, and Tim Keller was talking about Jacob in and uh, his relation to Rachel, and he was going and talking about how oh well this just shows how Jacob uh, felt like a um, I don't know what like like a, he felt like an emptiness inside him, and he was uh, searching for something to fill that emptiness. And Rachel was the way that he was going to mm-hmm. fill that inside. And to me, that just looks like, come on, man, you're kind of like, <laughs> you're sort of superimposing something and trying to put something into the narrative that isn't there. I mean, what, so yeah. what's the deal with that? Why do you suppose that we, that the well, that's, modern church teaching does that kind of stuff? That's what sells. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're for Sunday morning sermons, you have yeah. to make it relevant to people. Right. And, and if you're just going to re- you know, reconstruct what the situation was. It's not, most people aren't interested in that. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to church Sunday morning to learn that. Um, and it may even devastate somebody's faith to learn, uh, you know, things like the JEDP theory. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, just out of, of, 
necessity. And I think. So you think it just comes with the territory of being a pastor. It's like your job is to, is to take biblical stories and things like that. And, 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 and make them relevant for your congregation so where there can be a personal takeaway for it. I think so. And I think, yeah. I mean, I think most path- pastors probably are just geared that way. Like I always somewhat jokingly, jokingly say that pastors shouldn't be allowed to teach the Bible because they are terrible at <laughs> terrible <laughs> at it. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, Ideally, they're good at right. shepherding the flock. Right. That's yeah, that's not to say that a pastor is, is a guy that doesn't have the right heart or anything. Like, he, he's, he, he can have the right motivations for what he's doing, but that doesn't mean that it's correct, right? Right. Ideally, you want, you know, there's different um, types of people who are uh, into the Bible. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's exegetes, there's theologians, and there's pastors, and Ideally, you want the pastors to rely on those theologians and exegetes to get their material, but they don't always they don't always do that. I myself is I'm I've considered myself an exegete because uh, I'm I'm simply concerned about deriving the meaning from the text. What are the distinctions between between the three? So just really quickly, yeah. So the exegete is um, doing exegesis, mm-hmm. concerned just with deriving the meaning from the text. Mm-hmm. The theologian is concerned about taking that meaning and say, okay, well, how, what, what's the impact in, in terms of theology of the meaning of this text? And then the pastor is like, says, okay, how do I take this meaning of the text and, and the theology and how do I apply it to uh, my congregation and, and their lives today? Gotcha. So it's almost like a, a, a supply chain. One, one guy takes it further than the next one. Right, yeah. Than the, the one that preceded him. Yep. Right on. So speaking of the theological impact, uh, that's one of the sections that you've had that's been of kind of particular interest to me because I guess maybe it hits closer to uh, the personal application side or just kind of how it relates to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because again, I'm not as much of a Bible nerd. So do modern theologians use mere reading to arrive at their ideas about God and and how they construct... um, yeah, just just theology beliefs about God. Uh, not usually, uh, because most exegetes don't uh, do mere reading either. Um, but so, I, I, so the theologian is he's, his source material is coming from the exegete first. So, if the exegete isn't a mirror reader, then he's not going to be either because he's well, they bleed over to each other. So, okay. I mean, well, probably most theologians do a lot of their own exegesis, but. Um, Probably a lot of pastors too, right? Probably a lot yeah. of pastors, yeah. Um, so, I was, was I forgot the question. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, uh, we're talking about theological impact, and I was asking if theologians use mere reading to arrive okay. at uh, how they yeah create their theology. So, like I said, it's controver- it's a controversial method. So a lot of people shy away from it, right? So some would just reject it altogether, right? Or the, you know, they want to err on the side of caution, even though there there is no side of caution. Um, you're either right or you're wrong. <laughs> so, um, but at the same time, everybody mirror reads. Um, there's some obvious, in, and at some level, uh, so in Romans, like everybody knows there's an issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. Like that's, right. that's obvious. So everybody pretty much mirror reads at a particular level. Not everyone goes as 
in as much detail as I am try to push mirroring to. And um, I think it's, I think it's just amazing. Like I love discovering things. It's like reading, it's like reading a whole new Bible to me. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, have you changed your mind on some things since you've adopted the mirroring approach with since since we're on Old Testament, let's just say the Elohist source has has mirror reading through that caused you to uh, change your mind on some things, or you know, open up your eyes to a different way of thinking. Um, well, it's tough. To, it's tough to say because, or do you feel like maybe you just see things clearer now? I it just well, I'm just trying to look for any anything that's changed since you've gone through it and been using this approach that yeah. wouldn't have been there before. In one sense, it's really great because a lot of times it's like those really weird verses that are just confusing. It's like, oh, that's what that means. But on the other hand, it's in terms of theological impact, it's hard to um, come to a conclusion unless you mirror read the whole Bible, which I haven't mirror read all the whole Bible yet. Um, so I can't say conclusively that um Calvinism is wrong, although I think it, I do think it's wrong. <laughs> okay. um, the cat's out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> or Arminianism is is wrong. Um because I haven't uh I haven't mirror I can't I haven't mirror read anything. And that's that's kind of the that's kind of the whole uh, it's I it, it's 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 so different now because I can't if somebody asks me about a Bible verse and what it means, and I haven't mere read it, I, I have to say I don't know now because the obvious meaning is probably wrong mm-hmm. uh, because mere reading is going to give it a different meaning. And so, you know, I say... So in almost all cases now, would you confidently say that if you're reading something in the Bible and you take it at face value, it's probably not what you're going to get out of it if you mere read it? Yes, definitely. Oh. Or, yeah. At least, unless you're you're talking at maybe like the most broadest level. Like I think you can accurately get the salvation message out of the New Testament without me reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but which if, is good news for Christians, you right? Because you know. But if you're going like a verse by verse teaching, it's just it's going to be off. Um, so yeah, that's my view. Right. Right. Okay. So now let's let's just do a little bit of New Testament here because. We talked about some of the differences in mere reading Old mm-hmm. Testament and New Testament. What are what are some of the kinds of things that we would learn by taking the mere reading approach to to the Gospels or, or Paul's epistles that we otherwise wouldn't if we if we weren't mere reading? Have you mere read the Gospels or just I Paul's haven't? Epistles? Um, okay, well let's just stick to what you have done then. How about well, like Paul's I have epistles? Some, I have some comments on the Gospels. Okay, that I'd like no, to share. No, go ahead. Um, one. There may be multiple authors in the Gospels, um, which is new to me. Uh, it's new to me too. That'd be the first time I've ever heard that. <laughs> um, not as not as much, I, I don't think, as as the you know the Old Testament, like, like such mm-hmm. as Genesis. But um, even a conservative, uh, I, heard, I heard a conservative. Um, uh, teacher talking about this the other day, I think it was Ben Worthington talking about how the author of the gospel of John was actually, actually Lazarus. And then John came along later and like finished it out. 
And uh, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so I am curious to me read the Gospels. So I haven't, uh, I haven't really done done so yet. But in the the trick with the Gospels is that when you read it, you know, Jesus says such and such to the Pharisees. People are so focused on, well, why did Jesus say such and such to the Pharisees? Where they should be saying, well, why did why did Luke or Matthew or whoever the gospel writers, why did Luke write to the original readers about Jesus saying that to the Pharisees? So you like you've got oh, so it takes it a step further. Yeah, then. you got to take it out a level um, to really get to the true true meaning. And that's where the me reading would come in. Is why okay? So trying to re- again. We're, we're, so in that example of like Luke bringing up uh, a story of Jesus rebuking Pharisees or something, mm-hmm. we would we would be trying to reconstruct Luke's intent. Well, Luke, why are you telling us about that? Exactly. Is there is there a particular reason or a message that you're trying to impart on the readers by specifically mentioning this story and 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 giving us the details? Right, and at that and that's lo- not really done very much. Normally, we just leave it at. Well, what's, what's Jesus trying to say? Exactly. What's, why is he rebuking them? What does he mean? Yep. So we don't take it out to that next level usually. Not usually. Although I think it's pretty obvious that, I mean, there seems to be an issue with the Pharisees and the New Testament church at the time, just by, just for the fact that New Te- uh, the gospel writers just hammer the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, I they were the kind of the whipping post. Yeah. Yeah. For them. All right. So again, and this thing about the original intent of authors what about, so you've done a lot of work in Ephesians, so an epistle like Ephesians or Galatians or something like that. When you mm-hmm. mere read those, do you walk away with the impression that a lot of what Paul was writing about were issues that were specific for his time and that place and, you know, specific to that church, like the church at Galatians or the church at Ephesians? Or are there still some broader implications that are still relevant for modern day church, you think? Well, I think there's always... Uh application to modern mm-hmm. readers. Uh, There's I, always something. I think right. so. Like just like we were saying, you can glean stuff out of the Old Testament. You can still glean things out of the New Testament, probably more so than the the um, Old Old Testament. Because yeah. right. the New Testament is is more theological in nature it than is. It's than less, the Old Testament, right? It's less political propaganda mm-hmm. and um, in the New Testament. Although, That's so know, crazy. Political the, propaganda in the Bible. <laughs> That's just... <laughs> Uh, a lot of people would freak if they heard that. I yeah. Mean, they... Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's fascinating, but uh, yeah, but yeah. So, I mean, New Testament authors were dealing with like the main issue they were dealing with um, was inclusiveness. Who was, who was, who was part of the church? Who was going to be in the kingdom and who was not? And probably the largest aspect of that was the Jew Gentile uh, conflict uh other other aspects of that were slave and masters mm-hmm. uh husbands and wives and parents and children and right. um yeah I, I, you know i haven't fleshed all that out yet but that seems to be the main issue that they're de- they're dealing with in the so, so some of them could be obvious and we could write off uh like let's say when paul says that women should not speak in church okay so we could say okay so he must have been, that must have been one of those specific issues where he was writing for that specific time and place to that church. So we don't, we don't need to carry that over for our modern day church 
here in America, but there's other ones where you're kind of maybe on the fence about it. Well, right? it could, so that example you gave, yeah. uh, it could be, I mean, it, it uh, it's hard to, I haven't mirrored it, that mm-hmm. verse, uh, or that could be interpolation, what's called an interpolation. Fancy. So it's like, it's kind of like a multiple author in the book, but it's not as extensive. So it's like, okay, Paul wrote it, but then an editor came along and he inserted like one or two extra verses to apply it to their current situation. And so then the question arises, well, are those, is that Paul words or is it that editor's words? And are those editor's words applicable to us today? Or is it just Paul's words? Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's a whole mess of its yeah. own. Yeah, it sounds like it. That would start to make things a little bit even more complex if it wasn't complex enough. Yeah. Already. So if we were mere reading the the epistles, let's say, or like, you know, Ephesians, we'd be asking why, what is Paul, well, like, why is he putting this in here for who's going to be reading it? And there can still be a broader application for us modern day Christians. Like we can still read that. Yeah. I think you can derive theological principles out of, out of the text. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's just about all I had, but I want to wrap it up with this. All right. In your opinion, what's the ultimate value of me reading? Why are you so enthusiastic about it and promoting it? Um, Working so hard to promote it. Cause it's the truth. <laughs> That's a good answer. Honestly. Uh, you know, I mean, I've, so I grew up in a uh, legalistic church and they used the Bible mm-hmm. to support their teachings. And, um, you know, and then how, well, how do you know if they're right or wrong? And, and so when I got into the Bible, I, you know, I started getting into interpretation and then you'd, you'd, uh, argue with people or, you know, just the normal right. process of refining your thoughts and stuff. And it's, it's right. always driving you of like, okay, how do I know it means this? How do I know it means this? Um, is this, is this, because a lot of people, they just want, they have the kind of their pre-existing theology and they, they, and verses can be, some verses can be interpreted multiple ways. We're just not sure um, which one's the correct one. And so it's just like, they pick the one, whatever, whatever the one that relates to their theology the most. And I was like, well, I really, I want to get, get away from that subjective um, view. I really want to know what the text means. And um, so that really drove me to, to me reading. And mm-hmm. I think. Um, so you've always just had the, the innate desire to pursue the real truth behind the text. And that's essentially what led you to where you're at now. Yeah, because and it, you don't want to stop at just keeping it to yourself. You want other people to learn about this as well. I do. I want other people to know the tr- the truth too. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's it's. I'm not. Uh, you know, I hope they like it. I hope they enjoy it. I mm-hmm. I can understand it's uh, probably hard to um, absorb some of that stuff, but um, um, you know, it's a. I, I don't care. I, it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to like convert anyone or like, but yeah. just. Like Nor here. are you trying to subvert or alter the core message of the gospel by this approach. That I'm, still stays intact 100%. I'm just saying, here's here's what the text means. Yeah. And here's the evidence for it from a mirroring perspective. And um, you can take it or leave it. Right. 
that's good enough for me. If something's true, it's worth defending and it's worth going out there and, and, and working to promote it in and of itself. I think that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. Well, uh, that is the going to be the end of this particular episode of the mirror script tour podcast. Michael, thanks for letting me sit in and, uh, do a little bit of a, an interview, I guess, of you. Absolutely. And uh, special thanks to you for, for doing this. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Uh, this thing is, so Mir- the Mere Scriptura podcast is available on iTunes and also SoundCloud, If right? Um, I haven't Don't do posted all the episodes on SoundCloud, but most of them are on SoundCloud. I'll try to get the rest of them on SoundCloud and I have most of them on YouTube as well. Okay. So. And, uh, and then the last thing, if people want to dive even deeper, the best place to go would, for that would be? My website, which is mirrorreading.com. Uh, so M-I-R-R-O-R reading.com. Perfect. All right. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks a lot for listening. Yeah.